0: Welcome back, guys, to another episode of the NRL Hunter Podcast. I'm Travis, your host for the show. And I'm here with Mr. Chaz McCrander. Chaz, how are you today, sir? I'm fantastic. How are you doing today, Travis? I'm doing great, man. It's um it's a beautiful day out here in California. Um, it's supposed to be in the 70s, so I'm
1: I'm totally ecstatic. Oh yeah. So we're <laughs> we're not getting any of that here. It's uh <laughs> Currently, it's 11 degrees, and we've got a pretty stiff 15 to 20 mile an hour wind.
0: So Sounds like a beautiful Nebraska day.
1: Yeah, I, I mean it's it's fairly typical. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah we we can get this in May, we can get it in March, you know, sometimes October.
0: Well, I have to throw it in there what our, our weather's like in California because every you know everybody hates California except for when it comes to our weather so that's the only good thing I have to talk about I guess yeah, yeah. <laughs> um but if it makes you feel any better I did just come back from a hunt in Utah and it was negative 14. oh wow what were you uh hunting in Utah uh, I went up there for my annual uh, cow elk hunt oh cool cool yeah. did you have any success No, unfortunately, it was probably one of my most frustrating, but fun. It was still a lot of fun, but it was one of our most frustrating hunts. Um, We saw every animal, but a cow, we saw some amazing bulls. We saw moose, we saw bucks, we saw does. Um, If I had a bull tag, I could have shot a bull within the first hour. Um, We ended up finding some cows and they were 250 yards on the wrong side of the property line, and we couldn't get them to come over. Uh, yeah. Yeah,
1: they uh, they tend to do that, don't they? You
0: know, they they do. And, and it's like uh, Paul Dallin was saying, you know, uh, elk are predictably unpredictable.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: <laughs> mm-hmm. So, you know, we, we sat there and, and watched them move left and right, but – never quite enough towards us so that was frustrating but it was it was beautiful and and that area of utah that we were hunting is absolutely stunning and and even though it was cold i was with some good friends so it
1: was definitely well worth the trip oh yeah yeah it seems like hunting's kind of like that i mean yeah it's, it's disappointing if you don't get to fill your tag um just because of the anticipation that goes into it and the 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 what-ifs and the buildups that that we put on it but you know at at the end of the day just just being out and hunting with friends is is pretty rewarding and and good times and that that's where the memories come from exactly anyway you know
0: so no I, i absolutely i mean it's great to harvest and and i definitely i mean don't get me wrong i definitely wanted to be able to to fill the freezer um, but at the same time, I've been very blessed this year with, with my different hunting adventures. So I have absolutely no complaints. Yeah. Man, you've you've done a lot of hunting this fall, haven't you? I I got the bug.
1: <laughs>
0: yeah, <laughs> cool. I, I I did, and and it's uh it's been amazing. Yeah, how many different hunts did you do? Um since The first of 2021, I got a boar, I got a mule deer, I got an antelope, I got a whitetail, so four. Oh, cool. Yeah, cool. Four. I I had a bear tag, but Brittany said I I can't hunt a bear. She thinks they're too cute and cuddly.
1: <laughs> yeah,
0: yeah. I'm all no. They're they're actually can be quite aggressive. Like they can't be aggressive. They make them stuffed animals for kids. I'm like, oh my god <laughs> yeah,
1: yeah. Where was where was your bear tag for? Uh, Arizona. Arizona. Oh, cool.
0: Yeah, Arizona. So, but how about you? I mean, you did a, a little bit of hunting this year. Um, you took your son hunting
1: this year. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, my, in Nebraska, you have to be, I think 12 years old to get your, get a rifle tag in your name. Um, and my oldest son, he's currently 10 years old. So, um, I was talking with Isaiah Curtis and Missouri has a youth season that doesn't put any restriction on that. And the out of state tags are, are pretty, uh, pretty cheap or pretty affordable especially for youth hunters so we loaded up went down to isaiah curtis's place for uh for a weekend and you that's where you shot your whitetail right yes sir yeah so uh we went down there took him out um he shot his first buck with one of isaiah's six five prcs and you know great shot one and done 318 yards nice he must have been
0: ecstatic because i know i know when i shot my buck on isaiah's property i was thrilled um but my shot was under like just under 200 yards so you know your son getting his first buck at
1: 300 plus and i saw pictures it was a nice buck yeah yeah it was it was definitely respectable you know to be honest with you um i was more concerned that you know because Isaiah he's he's always sending me uh trail cam uh, right trail cam photos of the deer that he's seeing around his place and and then you know uh pictures of the bucks that you know he's getting with his bow or that his kid's shooting and I was I was kind of nervous that Cash was going to go down there and and uh whack a a deer and and just completely make every other buck hunt in Nebraska for the rest of his life disappointing. So, <laughs> uh, <laughs> so he he got a really really respectable first buck, and uh, you know it still leaves some room for improvement hunting here locally where we live. So nice. so that 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 turned out pretty good. Uh, another kind of cool story with that is um, my uh, wife's dad. Uh, sold his house moved uh, here in Nebraska moved down to Florida and so when he was you know kind of selling all of his stuff trying to unload furniture and all that stuff um, he he pulls out this rifle and he's you know hey I want to want to give this to you and I said well that's that's great but you know why don't we give it to uh, one of the grandkids you know and so it's this old Winchester model 70 chambered in a 225 winchester and it was actually his dad's gun so wow uh, he his dad used to kill a lot of stuff with it it was kind of more of a coyote rifle for them but then also in the family you know as as kids would get to the age to shoot their first year it's uh it's a real light recoiling round it's you know somewhere between a, a, a 223 and a 22250 as far as velocity. So, um, anyway, so it, my wife's grandfather uh, has killed animals with it, my wife's father has killed animals with it. It's actually the rifle that my wife used to take her first deer. and now Cash got to uh, fill a dough tag down in Missouri with it as well. So like we've got this rifle that four generations of of my kids' family has, has been able to harvest animals with, and I you know I think that's pretty dang cool. That is
0: really really cool. I've um, wow, well, I mean I, I don't I'm that's just uh, amazing. I wish I hope one day I can start that tradition with, with a family or my family as well because that's that's amazing. The heritage and the stories that have to be behind that rifle. Must be amazing. Yeah.
1: Yeah. It's a, it's, it's a pretty neat thing. And I, you know, I get a kick out of sentimental things like that. You know, I don't know if, (laughs) I don't know if anybody else in my family does, but I sure think that's neat. I
0: I think that's really cool. I mean, you know, my, as far as I know, you know, in, in my side of the family, I'm the first hunter. Like my dad's not a hunter. My grandfather wasn't a hunter. Um, on my mom's side, I don't know of anybody that was a hunter. There might've been, um, so I don't have anything like that. And I, I mean, I really wish I did. Cause that would be so
1: cool. Yeah. Yeah. I think it's, I think it's pretty neat. I think so it's now, really I... neat, but. so yeah, after, after that, um, I kind of dusted off the bow. I haven't bow hunted since, since my oldest son was born and just, didn't really have the time but because of another hunt I was going to miss rifle season here so I figured well we'll we'll dig the old bow out and kind of get back into that and that's been that's been kind of interesting getting back into I, I, I sure enjoy bow hunting and I don't know why it is I seem to be a lot more selective bow hunting than I am rifle hunting and I don't know if that's just like the intimacy that you have with the animal because of how close you are to it and how long you have to watch it with your naked eye before having to make a decision of whether or not you want to shoot it or not. But, um, that's, that's pretty good. I did not, did not take a buck with my bow this year, but did sneak up on a coyote and shoot a coyote at like 30 yards with it. So that was kind of fun. Yeah, that's cool. Had had good winds, some some really good sneaky shoes, and I was just kind of stalking through the timber. And I see this thing on the path up in front of me, and I just kept getting closer and closer and closer. And he never knew I was there until the arrow went through him. So,
0: nice. so that was
1: a uh, yeah. And and that's what I really like about bow hunting. It's just how close you can get to them. How how uh. <laughs> how engaged you have to be as a hunter to, to make that stuff happen. So anyway, no, I, I agree. It's, it's funny because this year I
0: took my, I took a boar and I took a buck with a bow, um, but they were, I, I guess, considered longer shots. The boar, I took it 45 and the buck, I took it 65. Oh, nice. Um, and bow hunting is just so much different than rifle hunting and I, I love both but I absolutely understand and love the intimacy like you're talking about of of being able
1: to you know count eyelashes if you're that close you know what I mean yeah yeah like what one of my favorite hunting experiences ever um was a a bow hunting situation where I didn't even draw back, didn't even intend to shoot the animal. But um, I, I have, I have a lot of property available that I can hunt here in southeastern Nebraska. Some of it is really good, really good hunting property where, you know, I actually set up tree stands and stuff like that, but I have a lot of property where there's just, you know, basically a crick, running diagonally through a field, you know, and sometimes depending on time and, uh, you know, what time I get off work, I might go hunt some of those places, just kind of pop in, you know, find a place in, in some tall grass where I can kneel down and, and, uh, sit and wait for something to come by. And, uh, there's this one time I'm sitting there and, you know, it's getting close to, close to dark and, um, I'm just kind of sitting on my knees in this tall grass and, and I see this, this buck step out of the trees, a real small buck, not, not one that I wanted to shoot, but steps out of the trees, puts his nose to the ground. And he just, you know, for whatever reason just makes a beeline right towards me. Like he, he's not on my tracks. I had actually came in from, from behind me, but, but I'm watching this thing close the distance, you know, about a hundred yards and he's just kind of slowly meandering right towards me. And it kind of culminated with him walking right up to where I was sitting and smelling my jacket and what? then looking up and making eye contact with me. Like, like no joke. Uh, his nose was, no. was, was probably a, a half inch from my jacket and sniffed it. His eyes pop up he makes eye contact with me and he just about turned inside out trying to get away from me. Uh, Holy cow. Yeah. Yeah. What and an
0: experience.
1: Yeah. And, it, and it's like, that's, that's one of my favorite hunting experiences and it, it wasn't anything that I wanted to shoot. Wasn't anything that I did shoot. And, uh, it's just those kind of things that, that keep you coming back, you know? Absolutely. You must, I mean, I don't know.
0: If if that had happened to me and an animal got a wild animal got that close to me, I would have been probably pissing myself.
1: (laughs) Yeah. I mean, there was a, there was a second there where it was like, all right, I might have to defend myself here, but you know, white tailed deer there. I can't imagine the situation. I'm sure it's happened. I know I've seen videos of it before, but it's not like I'm, Drenching myself in Doe and Estrus urine or anything, (laughs) where he's coming up, wanting to, you know, coming up ticked off, wanting to fight. So, right. Um, I wasn't too worried about it, but yeah. uh, Okay. Any sort of wild animal being that close gets a little weird. It it does. But now the the question is was there ever a
0: sliver of a moment, a thought of you wanting to just jump on its back and see how far you could ride it?
1: No. Uh, yeah. I, that I mean, would have I been can't... epic.
0: You you I... would have broke the internet if you had that on video.
1: Yeah. Yeah. So I I can't say I've never thought about <laughs> trying to get on a deer's back, but that particular situation it was like, oh man, I'm kind of in a bad spot if he does spook and want to run straight over top of me, I'm definitely definitely getting some hoof prints on me. Right. Um but no, I mean it, it, I did think about grabbing <laughs> grabbing one of his <laughs> antlers, but Uh, figured i better not didn't want want one of those finding their way in between my ribs yeah
0: yeah that's
1: Mm -hmm. that's for sure so
0: nebraska i've never hunted nebraska i've obviously you know i have friends that do you guys and so on and so forth um you know you'd mentioned tree stands and blinds and then also just kneeling in tall brush do you guys particularly shoot out of enclosures or do you guys do spot and stock? Cause I know when I went to Isaiah's, I was like, I want to spot and stock. He's like, you don't do that here. And I'm like, uh, he's like, you'll never get anything done. So I was like, uh,
1: okay. Yeah. So it, it is hard. Um, to do Um, and and it kind of depends on where at nebraska you're you're hunting so you get out in western nebraska where there's not a lot of trees and it's just kind of those rolling sand hills in the prairie um spot and stock is is a lot more popular out there okay um some people do sit in tree stands for rifle um, as well as bow um you can actually shoot out of a pickup in nebraska so long as what? the vehicle is not moving oh yeah yeah what oh yeah i didn't yeah. Know. i thought all vehicle encounters were, were illegal oh no no you can actually shoot out of a uh, out of a vehicle in nebraska as long as the vehicle's not on the road you know right um and the vehicle's not moving when you shoot you can you can shoot out of a vehicle so sometimes if it's if it's really cold i mean it's not the not the best way to get a good you know big buck obviously um sitting in a vehicle but um it it, it has been done i mean i've shot shot decent bucks sitting in my truck because it might have been a little too cold to sit or um just didn't get off work in time to get all my gear on and and walk in someplace and set up you know so just right. trying to pull a little bit off the road and if you can if you can knock a deer down um, past six hundred yards, it's it's not a bad bad strategy here. I know, you know people, um, well, hunters of all types. Everybody likes to kind of put their little idea of what they think hunting is, and if you don't do it exactly the way that they do it, they they feel like it's cheating. So, right, you know, there's there's guys out there shooting deer at a at a thousand yards and and uh you know they'll put a post on a facebook page and you'll you'll see somebody jump in there right away saying that's not hunting you got to get closer all that stuff and it's like well yeah but 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 could you knock one down at a thousand yards you know and in meanwhile while that guy thinks it's perfectly fine you know and thinks it's hunting to shoot one at 200 yards there's a a crossbow hunter that says that's not hunting you know you should do it with a crossbow and wait till they get into a hundred and then there's a compound bow hunter saying well that's too far you need to wait till they get into 65 that's really hunting and then the traditional bow guy thinks they need to be in at 15 and then there's (laughs) some guy that uses a spear that thinks using a bow is cheating so um, it, it's just kind of all what you're into. And I try not to get too judgy on, on what other people do as far as that's concerned. But, um, you know, usually the people that will tell that's not hunting, it's because you're doing something that they don't have the ability to do. And you know, it might be a little jealousy involved in that.
0: It Very well, very well could be. And t- to me, you know, as long as you have the skill set and have the utmost confidence that you can make that shot, whether it's at a hundred or a thousand yards, and and you've practiced. If you've practiced shooting a thousand yards and you, and you're proficient and you're hitting, you know, ten out of ten or nine out of ten at a thousand yards or 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 whatnot, and you're in a hunting situation and that's the only shot you can take for whatever reason. Um, then I'm okay with it. Like there's some people that we know that, that if they said they took a thousand yard shot, I'd be like perfectly okay with it. But there's yeah. also people that you and I know that if they said they took a thousand yard shot, I'd be like, that was probably not the best way to do that.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Right? A- absolutely. Absolutely. You know, uh, just in, you know, the people that don't really know what it takes to, to do that, um, to take that thousand yard shot, you know, I would maybe argue that it's uh, it, it takes a lot more prep and work to be able to, um, as far as invested time to be proficient at hitting a target of a thousand yards than, than it is to get within 200 yards of a deer. I mean, you can right. accidentally do that, but um, so kind of back to the spot and stock thing because I got off on a little bit of a tangent oh, no, there, it's all good, <laughs> um, but so sometimes. Um, with some of these properties that might not be um, a, a good enough good enough piece of deer hunting property for me to invest the time to put up a stand and you know kill an entire evening sitting there. Um, I, I have my morning and evening spots where I'll go get in a stand or you know sit on the ground somewhere and hunt and then, have a bunch of other spots that I'll just kind of reserve for walking in the you know mid-morning early afternoon kind of stuff with a bow and it's not necessarily I call it stalking but it's not really spot and stalking it's through a timber or, or through a ditch and you know essentially what I do is I'll I'll take one step and then I'll stop and I'll look around I'll scan everything try and try and leave my feet where they are and just slowly move my body to where I can see around, you know, any obstacles that I have in front of me and then take another step. And, you know, you can get, you can get within 15 yards of a deer. Um, if you play the wind, right. And if you're, if you're very sneaky and, and quiet in and your, your walking and just patient And and I enjoy that a lot. I actually yeah. kind of get more of a kick out of that than I do you know sitting in a tree stand and, and watching something walk past me and i you know i don't know if it's if it's just the thought that yes i can sneak up on this animal that that has a huge advantage um over me in in that particular environment from a standpoint of being able to use their their five senses to to detect me way before Uh, I I even know that they're there. So So I I do enjoy that. It's, it's really satisfying, um, you know, being able to sneak up on something and, and anyway, I kind of use that as a way to be able to hunt a property and, you know, hopefully be able to see any animals that are on it without, you know, investing the, the best part of the day to sit there and hunt and and hope that those animals kind of stumble past you. So, I do a lot of that with bow, bow hunting and and it's a lot of fun and, you know, have a decent amount of success with it. And while I say that I've never shot a trophy buck doing that, but I don't necessarily think that that's because it's impossible to shoot a trophy buck hunting that way. Um, as much as it is, I just haven't been in the right place at the right time to, to sneak up on a good trophy buck because you, know, <laughs> you right. do you do sneak up on on decent bucks doing that and uh you know just it's just kind of a a different deal you know makes you actually feel like you're out there hunting something right i, I have to agree with you
0: i mean i i really like spot and stock um i like being a active hunter i don't i'm i'm not I kind of like—I don't know how to explain it—but I don't like to just sit around. Not that I lose interest or get bored, because I'm not. But I think it's more exciting when you're chasing something.
1: Yeah. Right? It, and and I feel like I could be, you know, when I'm sitting there, I'm probably not perfectly still, you know. Yeah, I'm, you I'm get moving fidgety. A little bit looking, you know, and and when you're really trying to sneak up on something you do have some movement, you know, cause you have to make your way from from one place to the other. But, uh, you know, at the same time, it's, it's a very calculated movement and you might might take a step and all of a sudden now you can see around a tree and you can see some antlers sticking up yeah. Uh, in the grass behind there, and now you're in this weird yoga pose that you got to hold for <laughs> a little bit, and <laughs> until you until you can move that other foot and get comfortable, or you know, develop a plan of how you're going to close that distance without that animal realizing you're there.
0: Right, and it, I mean it's um it it's heart pounding, heart stopping. It's the adrenaline. Um, I was stalking a deer in Arizona. And we had to, we were 150 yards away when we found it. We were only able to close to 75 yards. Um, but every single step we took, we we had to, like, we'd step and pause because one of the, there's four deer and two does, two bucks. And the does, every time, it felt like every time we took a step would just stare straight at us. Mm-hmm. And so you're like one foot's down, one foot's halfway up, like your toes are touching the ground and you just freeze. And and you're like, how close can I get? How good are your
1: ninja skills? Right? Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Hold that pose. Yeah,
0: But okay. So Nebraska is, you know, from what I hear, it's an awesome state to hunt and, and, you know, I always hear good stories from you and a couple of other buddies, but what I want to know was how was your, your South Africa trip?
1: Oh, man, that was fantastic. It was fantastic. So we actually, so we flew into South Africa, but um, we actually were hunting in Zimbabwe. So we oh, okay. spent uh, a, a little bit of time in South Africa there. Um, I went with Jared Roberts, who owns Roberts Sales. They're a consulting and sales rep company that uh, Jared was actually my, my connection to to Nosler and how I started, um, having a relationship with them. And, uh, Jared is, um, if you ever get the chance to meet Jared Roberts and talk to him about hunting, he is the real deal. Um, when he was 19 right after he graduated high school, um, his dad had been hunting in Africa for years and started reaching out to these safari outfitters and, Ended up getting his getting the son Jared a, a job over there working for a safari outfitter. Um is just kind of a a, a hunting hand. I, you know, it was kind of right. starting the process to become a licensed professional hunter in Africa. Um, I don't think he ever finished uh, finished that up, but it was kind of like, you know, the first steps, build some experience, uh, decide if that's something you wanted to do or not. So he lived over there for three years and in Zimbabwe and, you know, did everything from, uh, from just sitting on a water hole counting and cataloging the animals that would come in on a daily basis. And then, you know, I think that was kind of the first task they, they had him do when he was over there. And then after that, it escalated to baiting lions and, uh, did you just say and, and baiting? Baiting. Yep. Wow. Yep. So with okay. the predators over there, they actually will kill animals that come off of their um, their concession quota and hang them up from a tree and have a place to where uh, people that are over there hunting, you know, the the predators, whether it be lions, leopards, hyenas. Um, even crocodiles, you know, where they can stick a hunter in a spot and and wait for the animal to come to the carcass, and and so Jared's Jared's killed over two hundred and fifty impalas what? in his lifetime. Yeah, holy cow! Yeah, uh, wow. And and, and 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 he did most of those with the twenty two magnum. What,
0: what with the twenty two magnum? Yep. Jeez.
1: Yeah. And uh, I mean,
0: that's super, super impressive.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Um, And so, you know, he's been hunting over there. Um, I want to say he's 48, 49 years old, somewhere in there. So almost 50. And so he's been hunting over there for the past, you know, 20 some years. And for the last 10 years, he's been into elephant hunting and he's been trying to get me to go for the last 10 years. And, uh, <laughs> you know, I've just kind of been like, nah, you know, it's a lot of money to spend on a vacation that I'm not taking my wife on, you know? Right. Yeah. <laughs> uh. <laughs> You know, I'm sure I'm going to hear about that for a while, but, uh, you know, he caught me this year with, with some disposable income and, and I agreed to go and it was a fantastic experience. Um, the safari outfitter that we hunted with is Charlton McAllen safaris. Okay. Um, they operate out of Zimbabwe and they're a, they're a really, really good operation. They were actually given a conservation award by the Dallas safari club. For oh, awesome! 2020 or 2021, I can't remember, but um, the the award was Conservationist of the Year. You know, so um, part of what they do over there, and this is probably going to get long-winded talking about elephant hunting and big game hunting in Africa, but uh, it's pretty interesting. It's things that I didn't know before I went over there. Um, but so you you have these large chunks of land that are owned by the federal government of zimbabwe so um kind of like our national parks like a yellowstone or yosemite or something like that but the difference is um these particular parks are set aside for animal conservation so like the general public isn't allowed on these at all and the particular property that we were hunting on was over a million acres it took us when when we got into camp it took us like eight hours to drive across this property wow. uh, so pretty to, small yeah yeah pretty small <laughs> uh, to get from the edge to where our camp was and then like right next to that and the 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 preserve that we were hunting was called chori north and then right next to that is Shari South, and which is another million acres. And then you know uh, uh, another one, and then there's um, DND. All this stuff. So what they what these companies have to do is they have to bid the contract with the federal government to get the hunting concession. So gotcha. the government government decides how many of each type of animal that they need to have culled from the herd to. Um, to make sure that there's, you know, decent um, homeostasis, I guess, with the animals and the ecosystem. And, uh, you know, Zimbabwe, for example, has somewhere between 35,000 and 65,000 wild elephants. Yeah. um And that's, you know, I realize that's a pretty big range, but from their estimates, their ecosystem with the amount of rain they get each year can sustain about 11,000 elephants. So um, the reason that they need to cull these elephants from the herd is because, you know, as you can imagine... um, elephants can be pretty hard on the ecosystem and then that starts putting stress on other types of animals right Um, and an elephant can eat up to 400 pounds of vegetation a day hungry hungry elephants (laughs) yeah yeah so we're um Anyway, where was I going with this? Oh, so so they have to bid this concession, they have to take out a certain quota of all of these animals. If they do not meet that quota throughout the hunting season, then they have to pay fine back to the government for those animals. And so that's part of what part of what uh, Carlton McCall- and McCallan Safaris does with the money that they take in from these safaris is they invest money back into anti-poaching. So, mm-hmm. nice. Um, I wanna say in 2020, they invested $100,000 into anti-poaching measures in these, you know, uh, some of these different preserves that they have the, the concession on. And $100,000 goes a long way in Zimbabwe when, you know, their their average employee um, you know the the local tribal people, um, like for example, our our uh, trackers. I think they said they make two hundred dollars a month, and they are by far the wealthiest people in their villages, making two hundred dollars a month. So wow. you can imagine what a hundred thousand dollars does. So so this safari outfitter that hunts elephants, you know, and and, and um, pays it gets paid to take people out and give them the opportunity to shoot an elephant. Their first year, I think was 2014, when they took on the the dandy anti-poaching area, Uh, they were finding 40 poached elephants a year. And last year they found one poached elephant a year. So the kind of the funny dynamic there is it's literally elephant hunters are the only reason that there are still wild elephants in Africa Um, because the, the, the anti-hunting people, they're not putting that kind of money into anti-poaching. They, they probably raise more money um, to save these elephants. Um, But you know, what those outfits actually do with that money is a different thing. So here's a, here's a company that's, that's hated by all of these people that, that don't think you should be allowed to help or hunt elephants and they're doing more to save elephants while still um, hunting them than any of the, any of the people that have the stated purpose of preserving the elephants, you know, so um, really good outfit. Um, That's awesome. Professional hunters name was Alan Shearing um, and he's, arguably one of the top five ph's in africa just a a fantastic gentleman um it, it didn't matter what plant bird fish animal i could point at he could tell you the name of it and then give you the latin name for it as well huh. um just uh, just a very very you know intelligent man um new elephants um he, he could, he could look at their facial expression and, and tell you if they were going to be aggressive or not, you know, or how agitated they were. Um, so that was, uh, that was pretty cool. Um, it was super hot. Like I think it got up to 122 degrees Fahrenheit one day while we were there. Yep. And, uh, well, essentially the way the hunting would, Oh, sorry. Did you have a question? On well, that? I was
0: going to ask what time of, what time of year were you out there?
1: Um so I think we were in like I'm gonna mess this up, but I think we're getting ready to jump into their s- spring, maybe. Into their spring. So, because
0: you were out there in October. M- no, 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 November, mid, right? Mid November, yeah. Yeah, November. Yeah. And okay, so mid-November is their spring
1: yeah, so we were kind of the uh, end of winter getting ready to start their their rainy season. gotcha. Um, and essentially what we would do we'd get up at you know four o'clock in the morning, eat breakfast, um, jump in the jump in the old Toyota Land cruiser. and with our uh, we had two trackers. A driver, the PH, myself, uh, Jared Roberts, who is the hunter, and uh, one one gentleman that actually works for whatever the game and fish or game and parks or right. whatever the title of that is, but he'd work you know worked for the government of Zimbabwe. And his job was to basically follow us around and just make sure that we didn't, you know, that everything with the hunt was above board and he carried a military rifle. And the, (laughs) we we were told on the first day that like, if we're out here hunting and we run into another human being, that it's shoot that other human being on site. What? Yeah. 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 Uh, That's. They're considered a poacher just for being there considered a poacher just for being there. Wow. Wow.
0: Yeah. Okay.
1: Yeah. It, you know, and which which that seemed weird to me. I mean, I, you know, I value animals, but I'm also, you know, to quote Joe Rogan on team human. uh, (laughs) So, so that was kind of weird, you know, luckily we didn't have to uh, shoot any uh, poachers, but you know, I guess at the same time, if you know that that's the, you know, Getting, being shot on site is the penalty, and you still still go out there and do it. Then, you know, you're kind of selecting yourself to get shot, I suppose. But right, well, and that's why it went from forty a year down to one, right? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And so, so we'd we'd eat breakfast at camp, and then jump in the Land Cruiser and basically go uh go cruise around until we'd find elephant tracks crossing the road and uh the the train most of it was was pretty dense you know you could be within 20 or 30 yards of an elephant not not see him through the uh through the brush um wow. the local tree there is called a mopani tree um and they're, they're not very tall trees, but, but they just grow in really thick. So it's, it's kind of hard to see something. And so what, what we were actually hunting was tuskless cows. So um, tuskless cows, uh, there's like a, a, a genetic defect to where the, the particular cow will be born without tusks at all. And the, those are pretty high on the list of... Of elephants that they want to cull from the herd, uh, just to try and stop from passing that gene gene right. along any further. And so, the kind of the game was because you don't really, you know, we couldn't talk the elephants into dragging their tusks across the road when they when they <laughs> cross it. So, so it, it essentially became a numbers game to where you, you know, you get to a spot, you find some fresh tracks crossing the road. And you, you do a good job looking at the tracks. You try and avoid um, if there's a calf in the group, uh, you know, you might just say, oh, let's go find another group. Because if, if you track these elephants down and, you know, one, you're hoping that there's a tuskless in the group. And then two, you're hoping that there's not a calf with the tuskless cow right. in the group. And so there's a lot of situations where we'd, we'd track these elephants through the, through the brush for miles. And, you know, I'm talking like four miles. There was this one set that we, we tracked, um, all the way up to the very tip of the tallest mountain that was within 15, 20 miles of us. And we get clear up there to the top and yep, there's, there's not a tuskless cow in the group. So yep. Walk like four miles back down the mountain and, uh, get back in the truck and go look for other <laughs> ones to walk so kind of the joke was is that uh, you kill elephants with your feet so um but our our, our trackers you know they were local shauna tribesmen and they could you know they could track these things through anything forever and you know you're in these, these paths that are being walked by herds of elephants and they're able to stay on the same herd of elephants, you know, as these paths crisscross through the, through the valleys and, and and through the bush. And I mean, they were just, they were fantastic. That's amazing. And, And one of the other weird things about it was, you know, you're kind of on the other side of the food chain there, um, when, when you're hunting. So, it's the first time where i've ever been hunting an animal to where i am relying on my sense of smell to try and smell the animal okay explain Um, well they're just these monstrous animals right and they smell like giant cows right essentially um and so there'd be times where we'd be we'd be tracking through the bush and and uh you'd get a little gust of wind and you could, you could smell the herd of elephants in front of you. So ah, okay. like, oh, gotcha. We're, we're, we're close, you know? Gotcha. And you know, they're elephant hunting, you know, especially cows the bulls are, are usually fairly, fairly chill. You really have to, um, you really have to agitate them to get them to um, to, to get them to be aggressive back, but that's not necessarily the case with the cows. Um, the cows are kind of, you know, these giant 20,000 pound Karens that, <laughs> you know, you, you walk up to, uh, you sneak up on a herd and there might be, you know, anywhere from five to 10 elephants in this small little herd. And, you know, the majority of them, once they wind you, hear you, see you, you know, they kind of run off, but it seemed like there was always one in the group that, that wanted to turn and face you and come towards you. And uh, they get pretty aggressive. They do have a language in which they can communicate. So when you, when you shoot the elephants, you want to try and brain, you know, brain them. So you're, you're going for a frontal, uh, frontal headshot. You're trying to put the bullet through the brain to to put them down right away. Um, if you don't do that, they communicate with the rest of the herd. So, you know, let's say you have five elephants there, four of them run off. One of them decides to come at you and you shoot it and you don't, you don't shut the lights off on that thing right away. They will, you know, make a sound and communicate to the four that ran off. And then those four that ran off will come back and start circling you trying to get a wind on you and they start hunting you right um like i i think uh man a few months before we got there there was actually a hunter killed by a cow elephant not with uh, i'm not sure if it was with the company that we were with or um if it was a different company hunting on that same concession but um they've the the They've had professional hunters actually get killed by elephants. The airfield at the camp that we were at was actually named after one of the PHs that, that got killed by elephants a few years ago. Um, so it's a, you know, it, it's a pretty touchy thing. So I had, even though I was just there as an observer, not there hunting, I had to carry a rifle the entire time right? You know, for, for self-defense. Um, in case we had one of those situations where the herd decided to, to kind of turn on us. But for the most part, it was, it was pretty uneventful from, from the elephants being aggressive towards us from that standpoint. Right. So that was kind of nice. Um, our PH, the month before we got there, he actually had an incident where he had to shoot two elephants in self-defense in the same encounter. And, you know, when they do that, the, the government comes in and there's an investigation and all that stuff. And, you know, he's, he's been part of, um, part of taking, you know, whether it be a pH or whether it be him as a hunter, Right. you know, the culling of over a thousand elephants in his career. And, you know, so it's kind of a numbers thing. He's only had to shoot 10 in self-defense. So that's a pretty good number. Right Uh, or a pretty low percentage but you know you still have to kind of go through the whole jump through the hoops thing make sure that you know everything's on the up and up so that you don't uh so that he doesn't lose his his license professional hunting license and so that might have been part of why we didn't you know we uh he did a really good job of being able to pick out if there was a huntable elephant in the group you know, before we'd get to an unsafe distance. Um, you know, there was one time where we should have been chased and ran over by an elephant. We were kind of walking down this little road, watching some bulls go up this hillside. Um, it would have been to the right side of the road from the direction that we were going. When we're standing down there watching, you hear a stick pop behind us. And, and in the, the dried riverbed behind us, you know, we look around the tree and there's a, a uh, cow with a very, very young calf. Like we're talking Ooh. weeks old, you know? And so it's like, you know, yeah. Uh-oh. <laughs> let's, let's, let's back out of here as quietly as we can, you know, cause that's a situation right there that you don't want to be in. Yeah. You're not going to win that situation. No, not at all. They will trample, trample you and smash you with their giant forehead. Jeez. Um, sounds so like cool. Yeah. I mean, it sounds like a hell of an adventure. Oh, it was, it was. And you know, the fact that I got to go with Jared, you know, somebody that's been over there, like he could actually um, he can actually speak a, uh, a tribal language. That's kind of a, a, kind of a, I don't know. It's a combination of the three major tribes languages Um I can't remember off the top of my head what it's called, but it's a, a language that came out of, you know, the, the mining camps in the early 1900s. Um, so he can speak that, but there's a lot of carryover with Shona, which is the, the, the major tribe in Zimbabwe. Yeah. Okay. You know, so he, he could speak with the trackers and they'd understand him and they could speak to him. And if he didn't understand what they we're saying he knew enough Shauna to where he could ask <laughs> a question to get clarification, you know? So um, traveling with somebody that's, that, that experienced over there was, was fantastic. Um, yeah, that's a know, huge for, bonus. Oh man. You know, so for me, it was more like, you know, my wife is really nervous about something happening to me out in the bush. And I was more concerned about getting from the airport to the bush. Right. You know? <laughs> Um, so being able to travel with somebody that, you know, I didn't have to really pay attention to the situations as much. Um, I just had to pay attention to him. So I, you know, he was kind of the, the canary in the coal mine for me. You know, if I saw something that I thought was weird, I look at Jared, if he's not nervous, I'm not nervous. If he's nervous, I'm really nervous. So, (laughs) um, so it was, it, it was pretty cool. So he, uh, he ended up shooting two tuskless elephants while we were there and uh, he shoots a, a a double barreled rifle. That's what he likes to hunt with because, you know, when you're, when you're shooting elephant at paces and uh, you know, something doesn't go right. You want to be able to have that fast follow-up shot. Right. Right. And when he shot his first elephant, he shot it in the head twice right away reloaded shot again and the thing was you know down and dead walks over to it puts another bullet through the top of the brain but you know i was trying to film with my phone while keeping my rifle in a ready position just in (laughs) case the rest of the herd decided to turn on us you know right and so at the end of that i was like alan did you know i talked to the professional hunter and i'm like did you take one of those shots and he's like nope jared you know i didn't didn't pull the trigger at all that was all jared so <laughs> he shoots so he's, like two rounds out of this double barreled uh, 470 nitro express reloads shoots another one so dang fast that that i thought the ph fired one of the shots
0: wow so, so he's
1: uber proficient with that rifle oh he is so proficient with it like seriously he is he's the real deal he's he's a fantastic fantastic hunter Nice um, and uh takes it very seriously, but you know, he he's kind of into shooting elephants in the face at 16 yards.
0: Uh, yeah, I uh I, I'm getting goosebumps just thinking about an elephant at 16 yards and nothing separating us. That's that, that's you got to have some big cojones,
1: yeah, and like outside of the the bay bad trees, and those are like the the big trees that are, you know, larger than a, a pickup truck where they, where they touch the ground outside of that, those elephants can run over every single tree that we saw and just (laughs) pull those right through them. So, um, even if you were in a place to where it's like, ah, we got a little bit of cover here in between us and the elephants, it's like, no, they will, they will knock those trees over on you and smash those trees (laughs) through you. So, um, but it was cool. Got to hey, see you... some, some fantastic amount of wildlife. Um, and, uh, you know, just seeing what things are like in, in different countries is, is quite amazing. So great experience. I couldn't recommend more the, uh, safari outfitter that we hunted with. And, uh, if you ever have the, if you're ever fortunate enough to, be able to have a conversation with Jared Roberts about hunting and hunting in Africa. Uh, don't pass it up.
0: Nice. I'll, I'll definitely keep that in mind. If I ever get the pleasure of meeting him someday.
1: Yeah. Yeah. You might see him at the Hunter match. Um, we're actually right now him and I are trying to work out logistically a way to have a stage using his 458 Winmag, mag, which is the bolt action rifle that I carried the entire time. Um, a, a target made that's you know the shape of an elephant head, but the size of an elephant brain, and we're going to try and start off a stage where you have to take one shot at this elephant brain at like 25 yards, and uh, then get down behind your rifle and engage the engage the other targets. So,
0: so you um, you have
1: to shoot a 25 yard target
0: with a hand cannon. Try not to bruise your shoulder, and then. Continue to move forward with ranging and engaging your other targets.
1: Yeah, and then get down nice. behind your rifle and try not to flinch. Yeah, right. <laughs> yeah, so uh him and I are working, nice. that, working that out. Um, if we can find the ammo, uh, we can find 150 to 200 rounds of 458 Win Mag. We're going to do that. Um, Heck yeah. And if he can, he'll be at the match to run that portion of it. So awesome. Awesome. Yeah. So speaking
0: of your match, um, you know, obviously your your match has already opened. The Heartland Harvester is open for registration. That's going on right now. Um I've heard a couple of, of really cool things about your match. Number, I guess the first thing that we could talk about is um is the education side. You and Isaiah Curtis are putting on a four hour free clinic.
1: Yep. Nice. That that's huge. Oh yeah. So um, you know we we did that last year as well. You know, trying to trying to give some sort of value to the um, to the hunters out there that are thinking about dipping their toes into this, um, but don't necessarily know what to expect. Right. Um, we're going to do that and kind of give everybody a chance to. You know, and last year it worked out pretty good. Most of the most of the competitors were pretty seasoned competitors already, but this was a new match format. And, you know,
0: I had and you were the first of, match last year.
1: Yeah, I had the privilege of being the first match of the series. So people didn't necessarily uh, know what to expect or at least know what to expect from me. So um, it was probably less instructional. Uh, the train up was last year, less instructional than more, just, to show people what to expect from match flow and how the stages are going to roll and stuff like that. So we'll be doing that this year as well. Um, you know, and, and, whether you're new or experienced in this sport, you're more than welcome to, uh, use that as an opportunity to kind of get your stuff shook out and, and, uh, have an opportunity to. Find these targets through some glass, get a range on them, and and shoot at them, and just kind of get back into the system a little bit. So right. yeah, we'll we'll have that going on um, on registration day, which will be Friday. Um, Very cool. Yeah.
0: And I think anybody that is doing this, whether you've you you know, you've been at one or two Hunter matches or this is your very first one, anytime there's an opportunity to do a train-up or, or learn something um, or even just practice something you haven't done in a while, you guys should take advantage of it. So if you guys are planning to come to the match, usually, you know, there's a lot of other people out there that will charge for a train-up before a match, you know, $50 to $100 a person. Um, the fact that you know, you and Isaiah are offering this as a, a free situation for everybody is, is awesome. Then I highly suggest everybody take advantage of that.
1: Oh yeah, for sure. For sure. I mean, like I said, if nothing else, it just gives you a chance to spend some time on glass, seeing what these targets actually look like out in the field, you know? Right.
0: And if you're coming from out West and you don't typically hunt in the snow, um, you know, everything looks different in the snow. Mm-hmm. So getting your, your eyes used to looking for certain things and um, getting acclimated to how you work and move in the snow. Um, I mean, like in Utah, when I, I just came back from that elk hunt, I mean, it was snow everywhere. So, you know, getting my eyes adjusted to the, the glare and the reflections and, um, you know, and then being able to spot animals or targets, in this case, in the snow, is different than when everything's dry.
1: Yeah. So. Yep, but, yep, yep, for sure.
0: And then I for heard, sure. I, I heard that uh, you have a pretty a couple of obviously you have some really cool prizes on the prize table. But I just got wind that you guys are building a rifle for the prize yep. table.
1: Yep. Yep. So, uh, Isaiah uh, is going to throw that together. We spoke about it earlier this week. So got zermott sending an action to him Um, we're still trying to get a barrel he was able to secure one of the manners lrh stocks long range hunting stocks which are pretty fantastic they've got some good um good uh configurability while while not sacrificing um the desire to have a lightweight stock so we're going to throw it on that um waiting waiting from a we're waiting for a callback from Proof to see if we can't get a proof barrel for it. Nice, yes. um, but that yeah, that's kind of the direction that we're going. Um, something else that Isaiah is going to do. He has a um, he has a long range muzzle loader that he likes. To <laughs> have, uh, I've so, heard of this. <laughs> so we're we're also going to do a little side match with with that where it'll be you know kind of a timed thing you'll have an option um, for a couple different ranges of targets you know so probably something around 300 something around five and then maybe something out at, at six or 800 yards and you know you get obviously more points for taking the one shot at the uh, furthest target but he'll have the have all the ballistics for it loaded into a set of the vortex range finding binos. And so uh, you'll get a pick, which target you want, get a range on it. It'll give you the dope, make the adjustment. And if you hit it um, and hit it in a, in the fastest time, you'll win some sort of a prize. I think the last thing that him and I discussed is he'd do a, a 50% off of a chamber job or something like that for a uh, smokeless muzzle loader. That's awesome. Chamber job for you. And um, we'll probably take the uh, proceeds from that and donate them to my favorite local charity, the Plattsmouth Youth Wrestling Club. Okay. Yeah. And uh yeah, maybe maybe get some new singlets for our kids. So, nice. Uh, that's kind of the thought process there, and um, but that'll be cool. Um, I, you know, I I know in, in theory most of us, most of us understand that you know you can shoot a muzzle loader out to a half mile if you want and be, be effective. But while I while I know that that's possible, I I've yet to actually personally see it done. So, I'm kind of excited for that. Get a chance to to lay down behind one of those things and mm-hmm. and uh, hit, hit a target at 800 yards.
0: Well, it's a muzzle loader. Don't you have to shoot it off shooting sticks?
1: Uh, <laughs> shooting yeah, sticks I mean, are offhand, and, and, and they're actually actually sticks, <laughs> sticks with you know, yeah, paracord and, or yeah, le- leather binding paracord. Yeah. They didn't yeah. have paracord back
0: in right? I'm trying to make it a little bit more modern, but yeah, le- some leather. Yeah, I'm yeah. sure we can get Kelly to make something for us, and she's very oh, handy yeah. with all that. So yeah,
1: yeah, she she enjoys arts and crafts time. So yeah.
0: Awesome. So those of us that have been to your match, um, we know what to we kind of know what to expect as far as the weather. Like and then this is really, really weird. But, you know, Brittany and I from California, like I said, we're, we're used to the warmer temperatures. But believe it or not, your match is one of the matches every year that we really, really, really look forward to going to. Um, even though it's probably one of the harshest weather conditions from all of our matches. And your match is just – it's a ton of fun. It's a completely different experience from any other field-style match because of the weather conditions. Um, And we've seen everything from rain, sleet, snow. Last year basically was a blizzard. Um, The second day – mud cold i mean it's it's conditions that don't sound appealing but it's actually a lot of fun to shoot in those conditions once you get into it
1: yeah yeah so well and like let's not forget the first time you guys came out we were wearing sweat well wow. California people weren't wearing hooded sweatshirts, but, <laughs> <laughs> but, but, but the first year that I hosted an NRL match, we were wearing hooded sweatshirts on, on day one. So this is true. Uh, yes. We, we do get some, some decent weather in those time frames as well. It just doesn't seem, <laughs> seem like I've been able to get it for the last few years. So there's that, but um, yeah, it's, it, you know, you see those videos on the internets of uh, people doing like those tough mutter races and stuff like that. Right. And it's like, you know, at the end of it, everybody's smiling, having a good time, you know? And so it's, it's kind of like that. And I don't, I don't know what it actually is about a, like a collective struggle of a group of people, but um, it, it is something that, that definitely builds some camaraderie. Um, yes. at the end of it when you're done with it you're like man that sucked but it was awesome and even though last year we had you know probably six six to eight inches of snow on the ground when the match started i think the temperature was right around 33 34 degrees so it was actually about as good as as good as you could expect for weather conditions uh it, it's, here in february
0: it's 62 degrees right now bro in, in California, so,
1: <laughs>
0: yeah. and, and, and I'm still wearing a hoodie. <laughs> yeah.
1: Um, do you remember Dwayne Strauss last year? Um, he had these uh like waterproof, uh, you know, Gore-Tex right. overalls on. Yep. Yep. And uh, I think his coat was a little too heavy, and so you know, about mid morning, he peels the coat off, and he's running around in a t-shirt in his in his snow pants and uh like just dripping with sweat you could see the steam just rolling off of him
0: that you know <laughs> it, it, it's funny because it was at your match i don't know a couple of years ago that some of the the uh, oklahoma boys came up and, and shot it was a regular yeah, different nrl match and um big dude he's a giant of men he yeah. um unzipped his jacket and it was like instant steam steam facial like so much steam came out of his jacket and i i mean from california i'd never seen that before uh, up <laughs> yeah. until that time and i was like what the heck is going on in there you know it's um it's crazy you know you you being from nebraska and and the strausses being from the dakotas you guys are definitely more acclimated to that type of weather. But I, I promise you, unless there's a lot of money or alcohol involved, you'll never see me running around in that temperature with a T-shirt on. Right. right. <laughs>
1: yeah. Well, you wouldn't see me doing it either, I'll tell you that. But, uh, with those North Dakota boys, 33 degrees, it's like, oh, let's go to the beach, eh? <laughs> right. <laughs> right. So what could people expect from your match this year? Um. So – Pretty much, um, pretty much what you can expect from any of my matches, whether it's a hunter NRL match, twenty-two match. Um, I really, really enjoy field style matches, and I really, um, really get a satisfaction over finding some natural terrain, natural obstacles, whether they be rocks, trees, whatever, and and uh, putting people in positions to where they're having to use what's around them to build a shooting position and take a shot so um because the property that we're using you know we're we're kind of shooting from this prairie area right along the creek and you know um through the the trees that are growing alongside the creek and so i do a lot of things where um I'll, i'll put you in a spot where you may be able to see the target from a standing position, you know, um, from the actual like sighting pin that we put out. Uh, but then you go down to get behind your rifle and now you can't see the target from a prone position. Um, I also like, like setting up the targets purposefully to where there might be a, a tree branch somewhere downrange in between you and the target that, you um, may obscure the target to where you uh, can't directly see the target, but your bullet path will actually clear it. Or, um, If I remember correctly, there were a couple of twigs broken last year. Yep. Yep. There, there, there definitely were. And then I'll put other situations where you can see the target clear, but you have to keep in mind what your, what trajectory is trajectory is and uh, verify if you need to move a few feet one direction or the other to be able to take that shot and have that bullet make it there without being being obstructed so um i like doing things like that because it just kind of adds another level of of problem solving that the shooters have to have to work through and and realism i mean There's plenty of
0: times in, in hunting situations, you know, that you're going to have to pay attention to what's, you know, what's in front of you. And if you can clear that shot.
1: Oh yeah. Yeah. So absolutely. It's it's real life, bro.
0: Yeah. No, I love it. I love it. Okay. So one pro tip that you would give specifically for your match, whether that's a, a piece of gear that you would highly suggest having or uh a tip or tactic that you might want to try while you're at your match any kind of uh any kind of teaser or clue that you might be able to
1: give people signing up or interested in coming to your match um so what i would say is um if you were going to work on something or practice something um do the things get efficient at doing the things that don't require skill um you know, I, I, there's, there's really, really good shooters out there that I probably couldn't beat on my best day. But there's nothing that says that I can't get my, get my, my, my pack off, tripod out, um, glass sitting on top of my tripod just as efficiently as they can, right? right. So, um, look for those little areas to save time. Anything that you can do to. Um, spend more time on the rifle getting steady and preparing your shot sequence Um, anything that you can do that gives you more time to focus on those things uh, i i would say that would go a long way like uh, leading up to the grand slam at cameo this year that was that was one of the things that i spent most of my time practicing you know i was i was shooting at fairly large targets at it 300 yards but I was practicing um your efficiency yeah moving up a hill with all my gear and stuff on so that I'm huffing and puffing when I get into the the shooting position where the sighting pins are um being efficient getting my gear out and set up um and and using breathing techniques to to slow my heart rate down and kind of get some of that adrenaline out. So
0: I think those are, that's a great tip because I remember specifically at your match, a couple of, of, I would say, excellent shooters, very, very excellent shooters on a couple of stages. I watched them fall apart, meaning they had no problem pulling the trigger, but they had a huge problem getting all their gear out and getting situated. And, you know, putting stuff uh, into shooting positions and it not being stable. And they just, they, they didn't have it figured out. And then eventually they did, but it was, it was funny when you don't tell somebody how they have to do it. Like if if you don't say you have to do it exactly this way and you give them the freedom to do that, which is what we do in the NRL Hunter. It's amazing how many weird things people will come up with that just don't work. So keep it simple.
1: (laughs) Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And then one other tip would be um, if you are bringing a tripod that you're going to spot off of and shoot from, uh, take a paint pen and, you know, get, get sat down on your butt, adjust that tripod to a perfect working height to take a seated position on level ground and put some paint marks on those legs so that, you know, as you're, coming up to the position and you see there's an obstruction and you're gonna to have to take this shot from a tripod that you're not messing around in position, getting your tripod adjusted. If, you know, my, my tripod that I shoot off of, it's marked for, uh, the legs are marked for a seated position, the legs are marked for a standing position. And so if I know I have to take a standing shot off the tripod, uh, I loosen the legs, extend them, get that one leg to that line, lock it in. And then my other two legs, I'm, I just set the thing straight up and down on that one leg. That's adjusted to the right length. I'll loosen them, extend them down, lock, 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 spin it, do it with the third leg, and then spread the legs out. And it's, you know, I I know that that tripod is set up for a standing position. You can do the same with the, with the seated position. So um, those little things that, um, you know, can save you some time or some, some headache, uh, as opposed to having to fumble around adjusting the tripod legs while your rifle's locked into the tripod. Yep. Um, I, I think those little things benefit you. Absolutely.
0: Those are are great. Another great pro tip. Another great pro tip. All right, Chad. So we have definitely gone over our, hour time frame, which is absolutely okay with me because I love talking with you, bro, but we do got to wrap it up. Um, any last things that you want to tell the audience here or, or, uh, We're going to see everybody here in Nebraska pretty soon.
1: Yeah. Yeah. So um, yeah, get, get signed up for it. Um, It will be a fun match regardless of what the weather does. So um, it'll be fun. It'll be very realistic for hunting in Southeastern Nebraska, as far as the positions and uh, shooting situations and, you know, obviously the weather. So
0: It'll be a good time. So, again,
1: folks, that's the Heartland Harvester,
0: February 18th through 20th in Neahawka, Nebraska, which is just outside of Oklahoma, um, Omaha. I was going to say Oklahoma. So I apologize. <laughs> right right outside of Omaha. Um, it's a great time. It's it's a tough match, but that's what this is all about, is pushing your limits and finding out what you can and can't do in those extreme situations because some of the best hunting is done in those situations. So, if, uh, if you guys can make it out there to uh, the Heartland Harvester, we look forward to seeing you out there. It's going to be an awesome match. And Chaz, again, thank you for everything. Um, if you want to know more about Chaz, follow him on his social media. He's got some cool pictures from Africa and some of his other adventures that he does. Um, but until then, you guys, be safe, keep shooting, and we'll see you all at the range. Take care.